reading, reading from Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 to 9. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity. Accept what is good, and we will pay with bowls the vows of, the vows of our lips. A Cyril shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, he shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His roots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This is God's word. Thank you so much for the reading of God's word. And before we get into this text, both this week and next week, we are going to have some very short interviews. Uh, Sam... Uh, I'd like to invite Sam to come forward. Uh, As you know, we are recommending three elders to be affirmed by this body of believers in a couple of weeks. And I thought it would be good for us, um, especially those of us who are new, to get to know some of these guys before uh, we steward the voice of God and affirm these men. Um, Immediately after our service, not immediately, you'll have a break, Um, 10.45, in room 519, that's on the fifth level, hence five. See how I'm connecting those dots? Uh, We're going to have all three of these guys up in that room. If you would like to ask them any questions, why don't you join us for that little time of fellowship and interview? But first, I'd like to ask Sam, because I'm kind of new. Uh, Sam, share a little bit about yourself. How long have you been at GBC? Thanks, Ian. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Samuel. Uh, married to Jess, uh, father of two. Josiah is two and a half. Ezra is ten months. Ten months. Um, Fathers have to check. <laughs> uh, I've got some other relatives in this church. You can ask me later if you don't know. Um, I'm 30 this year. I've grown up in GBC, so I've been in GBC 30 years. Um, I've been working in church full-time for about a year now, and before that, I was working as a strategy consultant for two years, and before that, I was in the social services sector, working with youth as a probation officer. So as many of you know, we feel an obligation, those who serve on the shepherding team, to take personal responsibility to develop shepherds for this church that we call GBC. And some of those, we sense from their gifting that they may have a full-time calling to ministry. And so we approached Sam a year ago and put in what we call the Pastoral Development Initiative. He's been doing reading, he's been studying online. And tell us maybe um, some defining moments in your life that cause you to begin to think, well, maybe God's called me to do this full time. Um, I think the, the first thing is obviously 
like many of you here, being called to Christ, I, Jess and I felt a calling to serve in the local church, to serve the body. And so uh, I've been involved in serving in the youth ministry for a number of years now. And Jess and I specifically have been helping to lead the youth ministry uh, for the past, I think, three, three to four years? Three to four years. Um, and so um, that's been our calling to I guess, just general service as lay people. How this is translated into calling to full-time, I guess, there, there are three big things that um, have been instrumental for us. Um, joy in serving, affirmation of gifting, and, and a, practically a, a need for more time. Maybe I'll just flesh them out very quickly. The first is a joy in service. Um, both Jess and I have, have really enjoyed our, the opportunities we've been given to serve in the youth ministry, but also serving in, in care group and in various platforms that GBC has been so gracious in allowing me to serve in. And so this joy has been really helpful in just helping me understand what kind of areas of ministry I have felt called to. Um, not to say that I'm called to specifically one ministry, but I think the joy in serving in the ministries we have been in has been very important for us and instrumental in helping us discern God's call for uh, my life. The second thing is affirmation of gifting. Um, through conversations with many of you guys in the church, uncles and aunties I've looked up to, uh, people who are not uncles and aunties, the spiritual leaders in the church, family members, um, this has been really instrumental to us as well in just thinking about whether this is a shape that God has given me. Uh, when we were thinking about going the full-time, we would go and ask people, do you think that this is a gifting you see in me? Do you think this is a calling you've seen God put in my life? And so that's been the second thing. And thirdly, just practically, um, especially in the last few years, we've been more and more involved in various uh, ministries in church. And honestly, we've just, we've wanted to be more involved, to go deeper, but we just haven't had the time. Both of us are, were working full-time in the corporate world, uh, two young kids, staying on our own. It, it, was, it, was, it was coming to a point where something had to give. We wanted to have more time, and that's where we felt perhaps God is calling us to move from being lay leaders in the ministry to perhaps having, more t having the privilege of having more time to serve in the different ministries that God has given us. Okay, that's great. Now, before you <clears throat> preach the rest of the message, one, <laughs> one last question. Um, because the traditional way uh, that guys like us go into ministry is our church sends us to seminary. We kind of put park everything else until we're done our credentialing, and then we get invited to serve as a pastor. How come you're doing it a little bit differently in that you're serving as a as a shepherd in this church and studying at the same time. Uh, thanks, Ian. Um, so I guess it's, there are two key milestones for us. The first was obviously last year when we, we felt that, hey, we should really seriously consider this call to full-time. So Ian and Eugene and Ollie and, and all the rest of the pastoral staff were very, very gracious in asking us whether we would want to come on board for one year, no strings attached, just to see, just for us to learn about what it's like to work in a church, to be more involved in preaching and teaching and so that we could discern whether this was really something that we felt God had laid on our hearts or it was just a, a one-off thing. And it was also for the leaders and for, yes, for you guys to examine us, to get to know us better and to see whether, and to affirm to us again whether you saw shape in us. So we've come to the end of that. After the conversations, we felt that we should take the next step. And again, why we've chosen not to go into seminary full-time immediately is for two reasons. The first is um, we felt that we would want me to get more ministry experience so that when, we do, when I do go to seminary full-time, I'd be able to um, be more effective and, and more 
focused in terms of what I want to get out of seminary because I know exactly the experience of working in a church and in different ministries. And the other reason is um, the plan at the moment is we're, think, we're leaning towards going to a seminary overseas. If you want to know why, you can ask me later during the Q&A. Um, but because of that, we felt that um, we may want to give our family more stability. In the last year, we've had the birth of our second kid. I've gone into full-time. Jess has had a transfer in her job. We've moved up my parents' place to stay on our own. It's a lot of changes. Um, and we felt that our young family really needs a couple more years of stability for us to just build roots so that we'd be able to be more prepared to go overseas. Just want to, um, like what Ian said, I've already started seminary. In fact, in the past one year, I've been... Um, Equipping is really important for us. And so I've been going through an online preaching course. And Eugene also gave me a reading list that is longer than the Great Wall of China. So, um, so we've been, we've been it's, I guess it's been ramping, slowly ramping up the equipping. And now that I've enrolled in a local seminary and I'm taking two modules. And we're going to try and see how I can cope with that and also working in the church. Thank you so much, Sam. I'd like for us to pray for Sam and the other two brothers Lap Ming, Tian Chai, as we prepare to hear God's Word. Let's bow together. Father God, we thank You that You are still a God who is calling men and women to Himself, that You shape us, You gift us to serve You for Your glory. And so we thank You and pray for Sam and Jess as they begin already to make significant adjustments to their life and family. Uh, we thank you for the way they love you completely, how they serve you so selflessly. And we thank you for Lup Ming and Winnie and Tian Chai and Janice as they have said, yes, we believe God would call us to join the shepherding team as lay people. How grateful we are for people who serve in the workplace all day and then serve you some more. God, prepare their hearts and even prepare us that we might steward your voice rightly as we prepare to affirm these three for ministry. And Father, we want to take a moment right now and pray for Pastor Bobby. No son desires to lose his mother. And so as you have called his mom to yourself yesterday, we pray that you would rise up and be comfort to our dear pastor. And for Lydia and Olivia, Harriet, for Pearl and Chloe, be comfort to them. We thank you that you are a God of all comfort. And God, we also want to pray for children even now who are uh, trapped in Thailand. Have mercy, O oh God. Give wisdom to those who would rescue. For children who are trapped in a bent immigration system, God, have mercy. Bring wisdom. For children who are victims all over the world, and God, yes, for the children you have brought to us, let us be stewards of grace. Let us love these children as you desire them to be loved. Equip our teachers of children to represent your affection. And now, God, as we turn to your word, help us, equip us to return to your relentless love. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, as many of you have suspected, we have now entered into the final chapter of this book that we call Hosea. And if uh, I've heard correctly, 
This series has been a bit of a, a challenge for us, right? In, in part because we, as a gospel-centered church, can find the gospel easier in the New Testament. We seldom spend a lot of time in the Old Testament because it makes us feel a bit um, uncomfortable. And, and not only that, is prophets make us feel awkward. My guess is, after this service ends, as you're planning your lunch, most of us are not thinking, boy, let's go have fun at lunch. I wonder if there's an Old Testament prophet we could invite with us. They're kind of a buzzkill. They're notoriously without humor. They often seem angry. And so I get this series has at times been a little bit uh, exhausting. Because as we entered into this, we, we find ourselves in the tension between hope and, and grief. We, we find ourselves struggling with the fatigue of God's displeasure. In fact, just this month, I met with a dear pastor friend of mine, and uh, he has what I would guess is ministerial uh, occupational burnout. He sleeps 12 hours every day and wakes up exhausted. And I said to him, brother, I mean, how can I, how can I help you? How can I love on you at this time? He says, there's nothing. It's just that, that I feel in my church, there's nothing that I can do that pleases people. I'm exhausted from disapproval. Sometimes I feel that way when I read the prophets. It can be emotionally exhausting. But let me be clear about this, just, just in case. Because I, I think sometimes we have a tendency when we read the book of Hosea to do what many of you do when I preach. And that is you remember the illustration, but not really the truth that illustration was meant to point to. This book is not about the sin of adultery. That sermon is still coming. This book is about the extraordinary grief caused when the most intimate of all covenants is shattered by betrayal. What covenant? The covenant the creation has with our Creator. In fact, last week, as Pastor Eugene taught through chapter 11, we discovered that actually the marriage covenant wasn't the only metaphor used in the, in the book of Hosea. Last week we heard about the covenant a son shares with a loving father that was shattered by betrayal. So in this book for the past six difficult weeks, we have been invited to identify with a loving husband, a loving father. We have being invited to consider how we would feel if the most intimate covenants we enjoy have been severed by betrayal. But having said that, here in the last week, after six messages, there is still one piece that is missing. We, we have been gathering, so to speak, all these puzzle pieces 
We have been putting them down on the table. If you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, you probably know what I'm talking about. And, And we've put all these pieces out there, but there is still one piece missing. I mean, we, we, we have that piece of the fatigue of constant displeasure. We, we've got that piece. We, we see it clearly on our, our table. We, we've felt even the piece of a little bit of moral outrage. We, we've seen that piece that, that God would be so angry, you know, so, I mean, that the punishment of the consequences of a sinful core is so devastating. We, we feel that little bit of moral outreach. That puzzle piece is on the table. And as we've been discovering this picture of grace in the face of outrageous spiritual betrayal, this one piece yet remains. Habitual sin there on the table. The sacrificial love of a husband to a harlot wife, we already got that. Grace of a grieving father, there. But one piece is missing. And this is a critical piece that I feel is missing in most contemporary Christian lives today. We want to come to God without this one piece. And here it is. Return. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now I'm convinced that with every successive generation of parents since my father, parenting has gotten increasingly exhausting. I just discovered during the announcements that there are 14 Christian principles for parenting. My father, he only had one. He, he only one principle. Um, he, 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 he just looked at life in a very simple, concrete way. And he would clearly tell us before our sisters came along, boys, this is life. This is the road. These are ditches. Stay out of the ditches. That was, that was it. That means that our home wasn't childproof. We had no rubber bumpers on the sharp corners of the furniture to protect our little sensitive heads from getting bumped. That means I bumped my head. And then I cried. And my father would say, watch where you're going. And I began to watch. I bumped my head again. I cried again. My father would say, I told you, watch where you're going. We had no little plastic covers on the electrical outlets. So knowing me, you can probably imagine the rest of the story. Our father said, see that electrical outlet? That's like a ditch. Don't go there. I thought to myself, hmm... So one night, I took a screwdriver to explore the great mysteries of electrical outlets. I prepared myself and set up my little wooden chair, and I took that screwdriver, and I poked it in. We blew a fuse. There were were fuses in those days. 
all the lights went off, and I remember looking at the dark ceiling thinking, wow, my dad is a wise man. <laughs> you know how many times I did that afterwards? Not even once. And I remember as I was looking up at the ceiling, this light of a, of a torchlight comes down the hallway. I thought, oh, I'm really in trouble now. My father steps up, shines a torchlight in my eyes, then shines it on the electrical outlet, and then do you know what he said? I bet you won't do that again. Stay out of the ditch! You, you see, sometimes we mistake enabling for grace. The enabled sinner says, why didn't God cover that ditch? Like, why is it there in the first place? Curse the God of Thomas Edison. Electricity is bad. Well, why didn't my parents cover that for me? So, so now my, my children are exhausted. Because they moved into our place, which was not childproof. And then they proofed it. And, and their kids never learning. They're not learning how smart their parents are. Because their parents are protecting them from the ditches. So we're on the 27th floor. We have to be there in the summer with the windows closed. Because probably if we don't close those windows, a child's going to get up and jump off the 27th floor. Only one time. That's what my dad would say. Just, just one time they will do that. And, and, and then because they, they don't know that their parents are have wisdom that's best for them. They always know better what they should be eating for dinner. <sighs> My poor sweet daughter-in-law. Would you like hot dogs? No. Mac and cheese? No. I'm like, these kids are not hungry enough. Give them something. Let them sit there till they get hungry. But, you know, grandpas are not supposed to talk like that. Do we understand what sin is? Sin is God has laid down a path and said, this is the way, walk in it. Sin is me saying, I want to wander over here to the ditch. Just, I'm just going to go off the path set forth in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to reject the, the path of grace set forth at Calvary, and I'm going to go my way, explore the ditches, and sit in them. We need to understand this, because our thinking is the prodigal father was such a glorious father. He runs that prodigal son down. Did he really, though? Yes, he embraced his son. Yes, he kissed his son. But not while his son was wallowing in the pigsty ditch. Not while his son was out enjoying spending his inheritance. The son returned with words. And, and notice this verse does not say, return with yourself all clean. This father hugs mud. He kisses dirt. But the call is that missing piece is this. Return. Re return. I, I, I want you to hear this. Just going back 
one verse. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's important to us because sometimes we talk about a moral failure as the sin. We, we think of stumbling as the sin. But notice you stumbled because of your iniquity. Iniquity is a condition. I stumbled because it's my condition to long for ditches. That's who I am outside of the grace of God. I am prone to wander. No matter how often I hear this is the way, walk in it, I find the ditches. Only God can take this away. Do you understand? This is why Jesus said it's, it's not about the adultery. The one who thinks in his head, who looks at a woman with lust in his heart, you've already sinned. Be, because my biggest problem is not the ditches. My biggest problem is me. You have stumbled because of your iniquity. I looked up that word iniquity. It's fascinating what that word in Hebrew means. That word that we have translated iniquity means a simmering condition of resentment. R resentment to who and why? Resentment to the one who laid out a path. Why? Because I want to lay out my own path. I want to be the God who made me. That is the human condition. It's the original fall. Call me Adam. Identify with that man. It is our condition unless God in His mercy cleanses us of that condition. Take away all iniquity, verse 2. Accept what is good. What is good? His cleansing of us. And we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Now, let's unpack this a bit because it's a bit awkward, this verse. Uh, actually, all we have in the Hebrew is this simple, we pay bulls lips. Hebrew is notoriously difficult to interpret because of two reasons. First, it is a very primitive language. Second, papyrus was astronomically expensive. So Hebrew was written with no vowels, no spaces, and a lot of words missing. So translation teams have to take this phrase and interpret it based upon the context of that text. And that's why most scholars would say that the best translation of this, uh, just a truncated translation would be, we are paying the bulls of our lips, meaning we will pay a sacrifice, not with the traditional offering of bulls, but with the untraditional offering of our confession. We're not coming to sacrifice animals. We're sacrificing our 
pride with our words of confession. That's why the New Living Translation has translated this as forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. And, and why is a song of confession a praise? It is a song of praise because when this bent man comes back to God in confession, that is a work that only God can do. It's not in my nature to do it. So, so the question I would have to ask us, GBC, because many of you have been a believer as long as I have. When's the last song we have, time we have truly sang out a praise song to the Lord? When's the last time we truly came and sang Him a song of confession? That is the praise He longs to hear from us. When I've made choices in my week, that have betrayed God by demonstrating my allegiance to other things that are not Him. I need to come with a praise song. I need to return with words saying, Oh God, receive this sinner and cleanse me of this inherent iniquity in me. That's where joy comes from. When that happens... Eyes begin to open. Some of us uh, have been led to believe that God so hates divorce that there is a broad biblical ban on divorce. That's why some of us can never stop supporting Israel. Because we believe God's an enabler. Whether Ian is living according to his pleasure or not, he'll be blessed. Whether Israel is in the center of God's will or not, they should be blessed. But that's not what his word says. In Jeremiah chapter 3, we find God speaking of his bride Israel. And this is what he says. If a man divorces his wife, meaning if I divorce my wife Israel, and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land, meaning that bride, be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers. Ouch. And would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights. Where have you not been ravished? This is God declaring divorce. Do you understand why Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet? Because he knew that God had turned his back on his bride he had said enough. Your sin has separated us. Do we not understand how deeply our sin separates us from a holy God? And yet, 
even in the prophet, there is some hope. Lift up your eyes. The eyes beginning to open and see. Where have you not been ravished? You see, lift up your eyes to where? The bare heights. The high holy places where the pagan nations sought the counsel of their gods, where they communicated their allegiances with other nations, those high holy places that you, O Israel, the bride of the Most High God, ran to to seek protection. You got there, and instead of being satisfied, you saw emptiness and disappointment. Some of you suddenly may be thinking of something you have longed for for all of your life. Now you have it and still you feel what? Why did that thing, that, that promotion, why did that job, why did it not give me what I was seeking? Because it's a high holy place. And that place will leave you feeling empty and disappointment. Open your eyes, the Lord God says. You went there to be satisfied and only found emptiness and abuse. But then in verse 3, this is back in Hosea, eyes are fully opened. This is the words that Israel came back to the grieving husband God, to the grieving prodigal's Father, these are the words they brought back with us. A sudden realization, Assyria will not save us. And the people of Israel got into trouble. They ran to Turkey for help. And, and instead of help, they were enslaved. Suddenly their eyes were opened. We were seeking those who didn't desire our good. We found nothing but horror and enslavement. Second, they said, we will not. Eyes wide open. In the past, when they felt insecure, when they felt weak, when they looked at their neighbors and saw them very strong, they decided, we've got to up our weapons technology, get war horses. With eyes wide open, they went back to their God with words and said, these horses will not save us. We will not ride them. And then this. We will say no more. When all of our efforts seem to succeed short term, we will say no more. Our merit is awesome. We will not worship the efforts of our own hands, the work of our own hands. Every single morning as I leave my condo flat, I see helpers polishing the idols of my neighbors. Nothing that man has made will we long for, will we worship. And then this, just in case you aren't convinced by Jeremiah, hear it from Hosea. The people returned realizing they were returning as orphans. 
that their sin had fractured that relationship so deeply. Just as the son returned to his grieving father, not as a son, let me be a slave, let me serve you. That's how they returned with eyes wide open. Here's something we should think about. When I sense trouble or anxiety, to whom do I go for help? Got friends? Do I start a WhatsApp group? When I'm feeling successful, what is the source of my pleasure? My performance evaluation? My good work ethic? my ability to make the right friends and this has God been feeling distant friend if God has been feeling distant he doesn't wander off you do you know intellectually he loves you But if he has been feeling distant, get out of the ditch and return. You turned, now return. Finally, this is the good news. The covenant is renewed. Um, This is God renewing his vows. I just want to put it all out here. This is what God says, as they return, my bride, my children, as you return, I will heal their apostasy. Now, apostasy, it's fascinating to me because it's one of those religious words we hear a lot, right? It's when somebody turns away from the faith. But in Greek, apostasis, this Greek word was actually a military term. It it, it wasn't a religious term. Apostasis means defection. When a soldier abandoned his post, when a soldier abandoned his national obligation to defend the king, that was a capital crime. And notice again, it's not an action in this regard, just like iniquity, it's a condition. The abandonment is the result of the condition. That's why God didn't say, I will stop your abandonment. He says, I will heal it. I'm not saying I'm the best Christian. I am saying to you, if this pastor needs healing, I'm guessing some of you do too. We are a people who have a tendency to wander into ditches. When we return, we need the healing that only He gives us. And secondly, in verse 4b, He says, I will love them freely. That word freely is a religious term. It comes from the Hebrew term for a free will offering, meaning it's not an obligation of religious law. It comes out of the outflow of my gratitude. This is what God says, I'm not obligated to love you. I do so freely. It is my will, my desire, and this amazing thing. It's fascinating to me in verse 4c. 
as we return, that's like present tense, as I'm returning, I discover his anger has already turned. What are you afraid of? As we turn, his anger has already left. God says in verse 5, I, in this renewed covenant, will be like the dew. That means he is the one who nourishes us. He refreshes a dry and thirsty soul. He irrigates our lives. And you, verse 5b, will blossom and take root. You will reflect the beauty and fragrance of God Himself. You will live in the sanctuary of His pleasure. Do we understand that fruit-bearing is a result of the pleasure of God? GBC, it's not our strategic planning. It's not our extraordinary giftedness. You want to pray for fruit? Find yourself in the sanctuary of His pleasure. Because everything we hope to do, in fact, everything we count, is a result of God bearing His fruit in His people. My glory will be famous in you. So famous, GBC, you don't need outreach strategy You'll be famous as the wine of Lebanon, which apparently is really famous 22 centuries ago. People will be drawn to you. Why? Because the pleasure of the Most High God is oozing out of you. The aroma of Christ everywhere around you, permeating your space. My glory will become famous in you. I want to uh, close with this. Thanks, by the way, for those of you who are giving to missions. But I'm not sure um, that you realize how awkward this is beginning to be for me. The trouble it's beginning to produce in my life, this thing on my face. Because I didn't anticipate that sooner or later I would have to travel. Now, as some of you know, my flight coming back was delayed and I had to stay overnight in Hong Kong. Yes, they let me in. But the next day on my way out, anxious to not miss my connection, I got an immigration officer who held up my passport. And then did this. <laughs> he said, have you lost weight? I said, no, my face just looks smaller. He didn't find it funny. And then he began to quiz me. Where were you born? I said, Vancouver. What year? <laughs> like, I'm not good at math, but I remember that. For 10 minutes... I was stuck wondering if they were going to let me out of Hong Kong. They have facial recognition in Hong Kong. Crushed by this beard. So, stay with me. I wonder if you have anything growing on you or in you that mars the reflection God desires to see. 
Because what he hopes to see in Ian is not, not this face, beard or no beard. What he hopes to see is the person of Jesus Christ. Do we have anything growing in us that distorts the image of God in me so that when people look at us, they go, uh, what? What? I mean, while we talk of church leadership, is there anyone who says, what about the suffering servant? When we talk about our amazing giftedness, what about the one who says, what about the gifts of Christ's Spirit? Is, is there anything that has grown in us? Maybe on a whim, maybe, maybe unintentionally, just completely mars the image of Christ in us, then friends, we need to return. I would like us to personalize the last two verses in Hosea. I would like for us to imagine that these verses written 22 centuries ago were written for us, not just the people of Israel, not our neighbors who aren't in church, but they were written for us, GBC. This expression of the bride of Christ, can we imagine that it was written and, yes, preserved for this moment? Oh, GBC, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and I who look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors, stumble. I want to invite you to bow with me this morning. And as you bow, you are not doing business with this pastor. You do business with this, our God, our Creator, our spiritual husband, our grieving Father. Would you dare in this quiet moment, in the secret place of your heart, ask the Lord, oh God, is there anything growing in me that distorts the reflection of your Son, that mars your image in me? Oh God, am I grieving you? by worshiping my own achievements, by boasting in my efforts rather than the cross. If you have this sense that you have turned, would you return to Him today? Would you renew your vows with the hound of heaven, the lover of your soul, 
the one who gives you breath to praise him. And would you in your heart right now sing him a song of praise? Oh God, I return to you. Cleanse me of my iniquity that I may worship you. Father God, I thank you that you are the God of tenacious love who consistently, patiently, yet with grief calls to us, return. Return to the sanctuary of my shadow that you and all you know, know may know that this is what it's like not to just be loved by the Almighty, but to be blessed by Him. Father, Your ways are good. Whisper and strengthen us again that this is the way. Equip us to walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to sing this as a prayer.